the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you known as a peacemaker? Well, I want you to understand it's the desire of our Almighty God that every Christ follower would live a clean life. And so my question is simple this. Are you living clean today? Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus Christ like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhillchurch.com. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Would you do me a favor as well, and would you turn in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 is where we're going to be in just a moment. I need to jump right in because the truth is we could do many weeks in this little epistle, this little letter that Peter wrote, and we're trying to cover this one chapter a week. And so we're going to do that uh, today to the best of our ability, which includes one of the most difficult passages in Scripture. And I've intentionally chosen not to skip over that passage because I think we as preachers sometime are guilty of doing that. I, I want to quickly teach through that in a few moments. But you're going to need your copy of God's Word today as much as ever. You're also going to need uh, that pen, pencil, lipstick, mascara, Crayola, something that you can write down some of these things that God may say to you. What I prayed a moment ago is what I really believe is that sometime God speaks to us as we're being bathed and cleansed in his word, even though it may not be directly from his word. Now we've been talking about for a couple of weeks now, this idea of great expectations. In fact, here's the question that I've been asking you. What are you expecting God to do that only he could do? If you're calling yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and there's not some area of your life where you're saying, God, this is what I I need. This is what I want. But it's only going to happen if you do it. If there's not something like that in your life, then you're missing out on what is described as a life of faith. From the beginning of the book to the last pages of scripture, this is a faith walk. And God expects us to expect him to do great things. And we see that right on the outset of first Peter in chapter one and verse three, it says all praise to God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's by his great mercy that we've been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. This, which we will celebrate here in a few weeks, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is not just about the hope of heaven. It's about the reality that because of the power of gospel, no matter what we face, we have hope in this life. There is hope for your marriage. There is hope for your job. There is hope for your education. There is hope for your future. There is hope for those of you that feel spiritually dead. There is hope for those of you that are still today spiritually dead. There is hope because of the power of the gospel. 
And as we looked at chapter one, we see that that power is made evident through the presence of Jesus Christ. In fact, we see that because of God's sovereignty, because of his powerful presence in our life, we can hold on to this simple truth. No matter what you're facing, God saw this coming and he'll see it through. He'll see you through it. Nothing in your life catches God off guard. Nothing that touches you has failed to pass through his sovereign hand. And here's the good news. He's already done everything necessary to save you from the one thing that could hurt you forever. So no matter what trials you face, they're temporary. They're not going to hurt you forever. The one thing that could hurt you forever is a life without Christ. The Bible says that one who lives a life without Christ will spend eternity in a place called hell. It's a place of torment, of punishment, and it's a place where there is no God. That's the one thing that could hurt you forever. But the Bible says God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still centered, Christ died for us so that we, w- we don't have to experience that. So if by chance you're here today, as I'm sure somebody is, and you've not yet yielded the trust of your life to Jesus Christ to save you from that one thing that could hurt you forever, today could be the day of your forever salvation. How wonderful is that? But then we continued into chapter two. And in chapter two, we see that God wants us to grow through everything we go through. In fact, it begins by telling us that, that we should crave the milk of God's word just as a newborn baby craves God's word. And, and as, as, a, as a child of the American church, I, I would just tell you, my brothers, my sisters, we're not growing as we should. We really are not. If, if we were, there's no doubt we would be making a greater impact in our world. We would be dipping into the pool of lostness in a greater way. Some of us, we've, we've joined a church. We, we, we settled into a tradition. But in, in the truth, our, our private faith journey looks no different than it did 20 years ago or 30 years ago or five years ago or one year ago. And that's a symbol that we're not growing and and growth is hard. I, I love what Chuck Swindoll, one of my favorite preachers, says about growth. He says, without a doubt, the process of spiritual growth is a long and often painful one. In route to maturity, we all spill our milk. We say things we shouldn't. We fail to act our age. Sometimes we throw temper tantrums like toddlers or pout like preschoolers or argue and complain like teenagers. All the while, we should be conducting ourselves like mature believers, setting an example to those younger in the faith. We may have the knowledge, but we don't have the will to do what's right. Even the spiritually mature have days where they take a return trip to the terrible twos. God desires us to grow through everything that we go through. How is your spiritual growth going? And I know you know this, but this just pleases your heavenly father when you grow. I, I try not to do this. I'm, I'm probably going to embarrass one of my children and I apologize in advance. I love you deeply. And I'm looking over here because you're over there. And so um, I, I want to illustrate that though. Uh, my, my second child turns 18 tomorrow. And that, some of you have been through this. It's it's a hard thing to, to watch your, your precious little ones grow into adulthood. But man, my son Caleb is growing into a godly young man. And that brings joy and pleasure to his father. 
The, the Bible says, man, what a blessing it is for a parent when their children walk in righteousness and integrity. And, and when you grow in health spiritually, it brings pleasure to your father. Now, last week we learned that sometimes that means you have to say no. And you say no to things that may be good things, but you're saying no to good things so that you can say yes to God things. That's how spiritual growth works. And and that's what God wants of you. Now, today there's one simple truth and I'm going to illustrate it several ways. But the simple truth from chapter three is this through the power of the gospel. God's giving you everything you need to live a clean life close to him with a clear conscience. So just go do it. To get that, it's pretty simple. Through the power of the gospel, not in your power, not in your strength, not in your might, but through the power of the gospel, God's given you everything you need to to live a clean life that's close to him with a clear conscience. So so you just have to to go after it. Now let's start with that first thing I mentioned. I, I want you to understand this. It's God's desire that every Christ follower live a clean life. It's important that you understand that. And I don't think that's a surprise for those of us that occasionally drop in a church like you have today, or even those that may be viewing online. We expect that if there's a God, he he must be different than us. And if he's different for us, he must want us to be more like him. He, He desires that our life be clean. But what does that look like? Uh, in this week, I've had the privilege of, of reading both the story of David in First and Second Samuel, as well as the Psalms of David, now through Psalms about 115 through this morning. And it's amazing just to see this ordinary man that God called, who sinned, but was found faithful by God. And it was because he prayed things like this in, in Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God. Renew that right spirit within me. See, cleanliness, your mama may have told you it's next to godliness, but it only takes place in your life when God does the work, when God does the cleansing. He wants you to be holy. Remember that in chapter one, it says, be holy just as I am holy. But your holiness does not stem just from who you are. Holiness is only possible for that person who has trusted Christ and then gets clothed in his righteousness. So I'm going to pick up and and you're going to see this down in verse eight. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do and he will bless you for it. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayer. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. We know from God's word that Peter is quoting from Psalms 34 at the end of this passage. And in the Psalms, we're reminded again and again that when we have unconfessed sin in our life, when we are living outside of the will of God, it affects our prayer life. 
If you've just joined us, you're listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. Video of the message you're listening to is available when you click the Watch tab at MissionHillChurch.com. Thanks for sharing time with us and for sharing your financial gifts by clicking the Give button at MissionHillChurch.com. And now, with more of today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. I meet people all the time and we talk about spiritual things and most everybody I've ever met always says this. Oh, I pray all the time. I I want you to understand something. If the scriptures are true, the only prayer that God hears of an unrepentant person is the prayer of salvation or the prayer of repentance. If you're not a Christian, it's the prayer of salvation. If you are a a Christian, it's the prayer of confession and repentance. As you'll see in a moment, he's forgiven your sin, but your sin blocks you from his goodness, even as a Christ follower, if it goes unconfessed in your life. So Peter begins these verses by saying, let me sum this up. He's been talking about hanging in there with hope through the tough times in life with a clear mind. And so then he sums it up and he talks about what I said to you is the expectation of God of every Christ follower that you live a clean life. But this is interesting. He says things that affect you and me. He tells us to do things we don't often talk about in rooms like this. Ironically, we like to talk about the biggies. Don't drink, don't chew, don't. You've learned that, okay. Don't go with girls that do. So we we like to talk about those flashy sins that everybody else commits. In fact, we look down our sinful noses at the sins of others. But but he talks about some other things. He, He begins by talking about the unity of mind. And you might just jot some of these down as I mention them. The unity of mind. What does that mean? It's not uniformity. It's not that we all look the same. We don't. Look around. It's not unanimity. It doesn't mean we all agree. But it's kind of like that song that we learned as little children. Jesus loves the little children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white. All are precious in his sight. He's he's talking about a, a sense of unity of mission and purpose in the midst of diversity. You know what I've discovered in now nearly six years? This is a difficult church to pastor. But probably not for the reasons you think. You know why I think it's a difficult church to pastor? Because it's the most diverse church I've ever seen. In fact, today we'll gather from over 50 nations to worship. We'll have folks like me that grew up in southern white America. And we have, praise the Lord, a growing and increasing number of African-Americans that are choosing this as their place of worship. But we come from different backgrounds and different cultures. And if we don't understand the importance of unity of mind, of unity of mission and purpose, we will not reflect Christ in our community. Some of you, in fact, you've made it your mind to choose church like I was taught in seminary to grow church. You know how I was taught to grow church? Number one, that was a problem because Jesus said, I will build my church. But I was taught that birds of a feather flock together. So you figure out who you're targeting and you just go after that group. 
My problem is I figured out as I read the book that when I get to heaven, I don't just get to hang out with my group. I'm so thankful that our church looks like what I think heaven's going to look like. But you know what's interesting? I want you to keep looking at that picture. You know why I chose that picture? Because as I searched the web, I had difficulty finding a real picture of real people that were red and yellow, black and white, hanging out together. I would just say to you, if if we're going to have unity of mind, we have to be intentional. And then he says we have compassion or, or sympathy. In the Latin, that word comes from two words that we know. It's the word come, which means with uh, or, or passion, which is to feel. And so he's talking about to feel with others, to, to know what folks are going through. That means through their joys and through their trials, to care about other people. And, and then he talks about love. Love for brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. At House of Prayer every week we do the Lord's Supper. And this week we talked about unity from 1 Corinthians 11. And I reminded those gathered here that the unity that he was dealing with at the church of Corinth, the apostle Paul was not in that particular moment about gossiping or backbiting or or, or saying things they didn't like about the church. The unity was because people had become so self-obsessed and focused on their own comfort that they weren't caring for those that needed their care in the body. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, said that that keeps you from God's best. So love for the body of Christ and then a tender heart. Oh, my goodness, we need this today. Can I remind you of Ephesians 432? Be kind to one another. Tender hearted. Forgiving one another. Even as God in Christ forgave you. We could use a good dose of a tender heart from Christ's followers today. We don't have a lot of that in our culture. Humility. God's word says if we humble ourselves, he will lift us up. Humility, as C.S. Lewis said, is, is not thinking less of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself a little less. It's understanding that it's really not all about you. We think it is. We live like it is. That, by the way, is why in churches we, we become consumers, as, as we mentioned here. We, we think, I'm not getting fed, or I don't like the style, or it's not what I want, and, and everything else. If we do that in church, it, should it be a surprise that every area of our life we live as if it's all about us? But it's not. Hum, humble ourselves. Love for enemies. Boy, now this is where Jesus really made some people mad. It's easy to love those who love you, right? But do we love our enemies? Well, only if you're a Christ follower. That's the only way. In fact, there are some other options to return evil for good. Why, that's satanic. To return good for good or evil for evil, well, that's just human, right? That's what we all naturally do. But to return good for evil, oh, that's godly. That's divine. That's what we're called to if we live a clean life. I think Peter probably snickered when he wrote this because he had tried it the other way. Remember? Remember in the garden of guess, uh, uh, the garden when, when they came to arrest uh, Jesus and, 
and Peter took out his sword and he sought to return evil with evil. And Jesus said, no, that, that's not the way we do it. Well, why is this clean life? Why is this so important? It's so important because it comes with God's blessing. Who doesn't want God's blessing? God's word says, if you live this way, you will be blessed. But he doesn't stop there. He says, so learn to love life. Can I ask you today? Do you love life? Jesus said in in John 10, 10, I've come that you might have what? Life and that you might have it how? Abundantly. What does that mean? That, That means that you learn to love life. Now, is life always easy to love? No. But make a decision today to enjoy life. Not just to endure life. And some of you, that's what you're doing. And and you're missing out and the people around you are missing out. Don't just endure it. No, please don't try to escape it because that's what some of you are doing. That's what we're doing when we turn to alcohol or drugs or other addictions. I really didn't understand this. Early in my ministry, I was, I was dealing with someone, just like perhaps some of you, who was so faithful in church. He was here all the time. He was so regular. And one day on the way to church, I got a call that, that he was in the emergency room. And I said, what? And he said, yeah, it's very severe. It seems that, that he's got alcohol poison. And he was one of our leaders. And, and no one even, even had an idea that... That that was a problem in his life, and, and yet he was home by himself one night, and actually was watching a Florida Gator football game. I think it was even a good game, but uh, he just started drinking and drinking and drinking. And so as we began to meet with him after afterwards, I was sitting with a counselor, and the counselor asked this question. He said, "What in your life is so bad right now that you're trying to cover it up? That you're trying to dull the senses?" And make no mistake, that buzz that you feel, that high that you get for a moment, that's what you're going after. You're saying, I don't want to feel what I'm feeling right now. And God's way, it's not about the legalism of what you choose to do. It's this simple principle. God wants you to enjoy life, not try to escape life. Hmm. Then he says, control your tongue. (laughs) By the way, if he were writing today... He would have, and your fingers. Because it's the power of what we say or, or what we put in print. Psalms 141.3 says, take control of what I say, O Lord, and guard my lips. I've done this for you many times, but just remember, sometimes you just need to do this. I'm proud of one of my friends yesterday. We were talking on the phone and, and he said, he was talking about a situation. He said, well, I don't want to gossip. And then he said, so I'll stop. He almost did it, but he, but he said, so I'll stop. Control your tongue and then do good. Do good. It's always right to do right. But then he says, but hate evil. Some of us understand the do good part. But we don't hate evil. In fact, as you'll see in a moment, we've let the evil of this world come into our life in such a way that that we've kind of accepted it. And notice he doesn't say avoid evil. The word he uses here is so much stronger than avoid. He says to hate evil. 
despise it, and then pursue peace. Pursue peace. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. When you walk into the room, does it calm things down or stir things up? Are you known as a peacemaker? Well, I want you to understand it's the desire of our almighty God that every Christ follower would live a clean life. And so my question is simple this. Are you living clean today? You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis, an outreach of Mission Hill Church. If you're looking for answers to difficult questions or searching for a church home, you're invited to any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. Details and directions at missionhillchurch.com. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement, but it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhillchurch.com and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhillchurch.com. Weekdays at 9 a.m. Be encouraged by The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.